0: At an award ceremony held last week, several groups and individuals were recognized for outstanding contributions to creating a climate of diversity, equity, and inclusion at OHSU. I spoke with Amy Penkin from the Transgender Health Program and a fellow who was recognized for standing up when she encountered transphobia. And later, an event celebrating Ramadan was also a call for peace, solidarity, and healing. It's Monday, June 19th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. On Monday, June 12th, the OHSU Diversity and Inclusion Award Ceremony was held in the OHSU Auditorium. Showing respect for all members of our, our diverse community and ensuring a safe and welcoming p- workplace, our core values for OHSU. Dr. Nina Lamble, a fellow in hematology and medical oncology, received the President's Distinction Award. President Joe Robertson did the honors.
1: Dr. Lamble is to be
0: com- commended for her commitment to those values and for co- her courage in confronting bigotry, bias directly and appropriately. Dr. Nina Lambo spoke up when she witnessed a construction worker in the cafe at the Center for Health and Healing saying disparaging transphobic remarks about a patient who was perceived to be transgender. Tell me the story of what happened on that day.
2: So I was down at the CHH cafe and um, there was a group of construction workers who had come in to eat and some other people sitting next to them who weren't construction workers. Um, and there was an individual who walked by, and they started saying some comments that were pretty inappropriate about that individual who um, appeared to be transgendered, and um, you know, my heart started beating fast, and I was thinking, oh gosh, like these are totally inappropriate, and I was trying to think of what to say, but I was nervous, and anyway, they kind of stopped, and they, they went to go get more food, and I still kept thinking about it, and then that individual walked back by, and they started up again. And some of their remarks were um, a little bit aggressive and kind of threatening violence. And so I was like, I I can't just say nothing. So I stood up and I went and talked to the groups and I tried to be really calm and just tell them, you know, this is um, a place where we see a lot of people who are different and we respect everyone and we're all, you know, we're all taking care of each other and I tried to go down that route. And it didn't necessarily go well, (laughs) but I tried to keep it um, civil and and really seem like I was reaching out to, you know, stand up for the individual who they were talking about, but also kind of keep them included in the conversation.
0: What kind of went through your mind as you were making that decision to whether or not to say something? Because I know that that's, it's really hard in those moments to, to, you know, you want to say something and it's, 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 it's hard to actually do it.
2: Um, you know, it was a lot of different things. Um, I would hope that somebody would say something if it were me that they were targeting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a new mom and I was thinking like, oh my gosh, if like this was my child, I mean, that is someone's child, you know, what, what would, that would be awful, you know, knowing that they were being disparaged in that way. Um, And I've also had um, friends who have been in that situation, and I remember reflecting after the fact, um, would I have had the guts to stand up and say something? And I think while you certainly can be scared to say something, I think it's actually a lot scarier to reflect back on it and know that you didn't say something. So kind of all those things and lots of adrenaline.
0: (laughs) At the award ceremony, you mentioned the Respect for All campaign and kind of the, the the stance that leadership has taken on these issues. what How did that kind of calculate into your decision to say something in that situation?
2: It definitely did. I mean, I think that OHSU has been so vocal. Um, you know, even something as simple as us getting emails all the time saying, you know, respect for all or the posters that are up. And I know they have a lot of activities and it's evident, you know, based on the other award winners who are devoting um, their life's work to inclusiveness, equity, and diversity, um, that there's a lot going on here. You know, I'm I'm from the Midwest, and um, I just don't really remember a lot of that where I went to school. I don't remember, like, receiving all those vocal kind of reminders of how everybody is included. And um, I think especially in this last year, it's been really important to be loud about that um, and, and kind of knowing that nothing should be controversial about standing up for somebody else, but it definitely obviously isn't here because, um, the whole institution, um, is, is being loud about it and, and very vocal.
0: Were you surprised to be recognized in this way for that situation?
2: Oh yeah. And, and a little embarrassed to be honest. Um, because I think that there are so many people who are working every single day, um, You know very purposefully to to combat these types of things and I know that there are also people who just like me will run into things that um, um, present themselves and and they stand up for others so I'm certainly not the only person to have done that Um, and so that's you know I I want to be aware of the fact that there's so much else going on um, along the same lines. And also it's a little, on the other hand, tough because it's so lovely to get the support and encouragement. But I do feel badly for the person who was being disparaged because that person, you know, didn't necessarily get that outpouring of support. Um, And they're the ones that were the target of that um, attack that day. And so I'm not really sure how to bridge that gap, but that's something else I think about.
0: Well, I think you raise a good point that, you know, probably with any sort of recognition program or award ceremony you're, you're not everyone who does great things is going to be recognized but those um, those examples that for whatever reason kind of stand out or you know get noticed you know serve as a great example for everyone else and, and I'm sure that um, you know everyone, else who's ever been in that situation and stood up appreciates the fact that that you know kind of behavior is being recognized
2: yeah you know dr gibbs came up to me afterwards and and said the same thing kind of along those lines and um you know ultimately we're we're at a teaching institution so if one person is able to gain you know a touch of more courage for hearing that story then that's awesome so i do i do appreciate that
0: well congratulations and thank you
2: thank you so much
0: Amy Penkin coordinates the Transgender Health Program. The program and Amy herself were finalists for two different awards. Hello. Thank you for taking time on your day off to speak with me. At the Diversity and Inclusion Award Ceremony, you were actually a finalist in two different categories. Um, in the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Champion Individual Award category and the Transgender Health Program was also a finalist in the Program category. What are you most proud of about your work so far at OHSU?
3: Well, I rarely think of the work as my work. I think of it as our work uh, work you've done, work I've done, and the collection of dozens and dozens and dozens of people within our OHSU community. And I think that's probably the piece I'm most proud of, is that we've all worked together so collaboratively and that there are so many people with investment and enthusiasm and passion about doing this work. And uh, I feel lucky that I get to do it and get to build all of these relationships and keep the momentum going. So I, I think that would be what my what my pride is, is that, um, I've been able to do that with so many and that they've been so receptive to it.
0: Well, you're very humble. I think a lot of people recognize that you're a big driver on this effort as well. Um, but, you so how long has it been since you've been at OHSU?
3: I started in January of 2015.
0: Okay. And, the, and, and this work had really been happening for several years, um, but and you know, I think part of the growth of the program was the creation of your position. In the time since you've been here, how has the? I know the program has just continued to grow. You know, can you kind of quantify that in a way? How has has really the program grown?
3: Sure. Uh, well, I came on board tasked with uh, developing a workforce education initiative to just raise awareness around OHSU about the experiences of transgender patients and promoting ideas about how we can be responsive and inclusive and really create a welcoming environment for any person of trans experience, be it our employees, patients, visitors, faculty, anyone, students. And in addition to working on that project, I was also tasked with helping patients who are entering our healthcare system, helping them learn how to navigate to care and access the services that they were looking for, both for supporting them as they were going through a medical transition, gender transition, but also as they were accessing any other type of care where they wanted to have an affirming experience and feel like a provider would understand something about their gender identity. And in the first year in 2015, I think I navigated about 500 or so inquiries into my office in the second year, in 2016. That number pretty much tripled to about 1,500. And now, fortunately, we've hired a social worker to join me in the office, and now we get probably about 100 inquiries a week by email or by phone. or dropping by the office or walking down a hallway or through an in-basket message through Epic. And it's been tremendous to actually see how many people are seeking us out to help them either access a patient they're working with into care or for a patient or prospective patient to contact us to figure out how to get what they're looking for. So there's just been enormous growth in in a pretty short period of time, both with the volume of folks coming through and the workforce education I was mentioning at the beginning, which is what I started with, we've reached probably close to 4,000 of our OHSU community members in delivering these education initiatives.
0: You mentioned uh, reaching you know, over 4,000 members of the OHSU community through trainings. What strategies do you kind of teach, uh, you know, individuals for really maybe either understanding this issue better or, you know, combating transphobic remarks like uh, Dr. Lambole had to?
3: I, I think there's uh, two things that we, well, there are many things that we think about, but one is Understanding the environment in which somebody is working and the kinds of issues that might show up in their day-to-day experience. And how do we prepare someone in ways that are unique to their role or to their environment? And they're really simple things that we do um, that can apply to anybody in any environment, which is really about how to pay attention to language that we use. And it's a subtle change for some people to uh, think about language as it relates to gender and how a lot of people think it's polite to say mister or ms or sir or ma'am but for someone whose gender isn't obvious uh, to you or even if you think someone's gender is a certain way but their identity is different using that kind of gendered language um, while it's not assaultive you know in a way that maybe the disparaging transphobic remarks were that dr lamble observed they still have an impact on the way someone feels. So we try and approach education with strategies that give people some language that they could try on and practice with, uh, even right then and there in the session that we're leading. And we also invite people to do that with us on their own if they want to, if they want to have a few, uh, you know, standard phrases that they just have in their pocket they could pull out when they need to. And we try and make it general enough that It can apply to really any situation where you think someone might be disrespected or something doesn't feel like it's as welcoming or safe as we would want it to be, regardless of the person's uh, different types of identity. We really want to think globally about an environment of respect.
0: On Thursday, June 15th, an event celebrating Ramadan was held in the School of Nursing.
1: The translation is, and behold, with every hardship come ease.
0: Wafa bin Ali was one of the organizers of the event.
1: But we have to remember that whatever we're going through, as I said, will not last forever. And we can change this with empowerment, love, and respect.
0: Dr. Brian Gibbs, OHSU's Vice President for Equity and Inclusion, spoke at the event. Deciding what action to take isn't easy. And the Max train tragedy reminds us that the cost can be high when standing up to hate. As we get to the challenging work of healing from that incident, we must remember those who risk their lives, the families that they leave behind, the scars that will never heal, the wounds that will always be open, and yet the opportunity for hope through hardship that will always
1: be before us.
0: Dr. Zakir Khan from the Council on American-Islamic Relations of Oregon also spoke.
1: I went to law school to close Guantanamo Bay. And I know what you're thinking. Probably should have got a PhD in nursing instead. It would have been easier. (laughs) Would have been a lot easier to do that. What were you thinking, dude? And you can ask some of my colleagues who are sitting in the audience today. I'm really idealistic. Really, like, ridiculously. And for me... You know, sometimes you, you're, you're living your life and you see, like, there's a case that I really want to work on. And for me, that case was this case of this Guantanamo prisoner named Adnan Latif, who had traveled to Afghanistan to seek medical treatment. He was never found guilty of anything related to terrorism or anything like that. And I really wanted to work on his case. And he never got the chance because, unfortunately, he committed suicide. And I always thought to myself, you know, I... I want to be the guy who can help bring peace to his family so he can return to his family. But that just never happened. And so there was a really great New York Times documentary that came out in the wake of his death about his body being transported back to his family. And the thing about Adnan was that he he wrote poems. There's a really famous poem that he wrote um, that's in a book called Poems from Guantanamo in which he said, Even if the pain of the wound increases, there must be a remedy to treat it. And even if our days in prison endure, there must be a day when we get out." And it's so tragic that for him to get out, it took his death. But when they delivered his body to his family, they also passed along a note from him. And the note was advice that he gave to his his sons who were living. And he gave three pieces of wisdom that I think really hold the key towards building peace within this country, but also within our own personal lives. He said, be strong, be wise, be just. Let me tell you the significance of all that. When tragedy happens, when a crisis happens, we have to stand up and be strong. You can go to the extent of Micah. You can do what's within your power to do. There's nothing wrong with just standing up. Second, be wise. Inform yourself. When I moved to New Orleans, I was like, save your mentality. I'm going to save these people. I was really stupid. (laughs) You can't do that. Okay, If you're entering a new community, you have to go there, and you have to listen, and you have to shut the heck up. Very crucial. You have to go and listen to what the community needs, not what you think you need from a savior mentality perspective. That's how you become wise. Finally, be just. If we cannot be just towards one another in our interpersonal relationships, how can we ever expect a government to do that for us? It's just not possible. So if we have the opportunity, we need to make sure that we are just between one another, that we treat ourselves the right way. When I first came to Oregon, I was so surprised that when I turned on my blinker signal, people would let me merge. (laughs) I was like, thank you, thank you. My hand is getting tired. This is really weird. But we need to be that people, not just on the roads, but in our daily lives with the way that we treat one another. So today, I focused on analyzing um, the steps that we need to take in order to become a better society and a better community. I talked about healing, I talked about solidarity, and I talked about peace. And at the beginning of this presentation, I talked about Public Enemy's lyrics, in which they said, one out of one million residents be a distant who ain't kissing it. I think these lyrics hold tremendous value because we need to build a society in which it's not one out of a million. We need to get it down to its one out of 100, maybe one out of a 10, maybe 100% are people that are willing to stand up for one another and to be there, not just in the wake of tragedies, but be there as a presence for all time. Coming out of this presentation, I hope that you understand that all of you, no matter what role you're playing in society right now, have the ability to make a difference in someone's life. And it's not just about big moments. It's about the small moments. It's about sitting down sometimes with a student and just listening so that they have the ability to realize that there are people that care about them. So one tip, and I tell all my students, if you learn one thing in my interpersonal communication class, learn this. I think one of the previous speakers mentioned it as well, so let me reinforce it. It is imperative that moving forward here, that we learn to listen to listen and not listen to reply. If we do that, we'll get the country that we want. Thank you.
0: OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. It's edited by me. I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.